Hello, hello, hello. This is Cloud Unfiltered. I am your hostess, Nikki Acosta. Hey, I'm Ballard. It's good to be with you again, Nikki. And we have an awesome guest with us today, somebody who's been at Cisco for a minute, knows a lot about OpenStack, knows a lot about kind of what's happening in the community with containers. It is Bikram Hokasot. Say hi, Bikram. Hey, Nikki. Hey, Waller. How are you? Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, I'm Vikram Hosakot. Uh, I work in Cisco's MetaCloud team, uh, mainly working on uh, OpenStack and, and deploying and developing uh, cloud cloud products uh, for uh, cloud customers. Uh, I am also working uh, in containers. Uh, I'm a co-reviewer of the OpenStack Kala and Kala Ansible projects uh, stream. Cool. So we usually start cool. these things. And, and by the way, thank you for clarifying just before we started on how to pronounce your last name, because yeah, I've been saying good. it. I've been saying it wrong, uh, so thanks for clarifying. But uh, we were really excited to have you on today, and we typically start these things by asking you about how you got into tech. What were you like as a kid? You know, how did you find yourself on this path that you're now on? Yeah. Um, so let's see. Yeah, I I was always a curious kid, right? I remember, I uh, I broke open uh, TV remote controls. I used to break open my remote control cars. I used to like break open all the, the, the electronic you know, gadgets at, at home. I remember doing that. Uh, but as far as uh, computer science itself is concerned, I want to say maybe when I was like, yeah, like 11 or 12, I, I got introduced to a, um, a computer. It, was, it wasn't even a Windows. It was some sort of some x86 box. And there was basic on it. And one of my uh, teachers at, at, at school was working on it. And and that's when I I, I got in, in introduced to computers and programming. And then I I also you know got a lot of books about um, you know programming like things like Fortran. Uh, I also uh, saw COBOL people working on it at my school. And it, it it all started you know back back when I was like you know 12 13, but but not very seriously. Uh, but then, end of high school. I wait, wait, wait! Quick question: Can you still program in Fortran and Cobalt? No, no. I started. Uh, so I remember uh, when I when I uh, got introduced to Fortran, there was an earlier version. Was it? I think it's Fortran seventy seven. Uh, I never understood that. <laughs> I didn't even understand the syntax. I I can I can probably uh, brush up my Fortran ninety five skills. Uh, the Fortran <laughs> Is when uh, is one of my first program languages. COBOL because uh, they were doing a lot of mainframe and vast processing work at my school. Yeah. So I, I used to see people working on in COBOL and uh, and the really uh, the thing I like about COBOL is the whole identif I mean the divisions right. There's an identification division. There's a data division. There's a procedure division. Um, <laughs> like blocks of, of, of divisions. Uh, I, I just cool. like that you're defending and talking about how rad COBOL is. <laughs> did, <laughs> yeah, did, yeah. Did, did you grow up in the Boston area then? No, no. I, I grew up in India, actually. Uh, oh, okay. I was in, um, I did my schooling and my, my high school back in India where uh, where my school had a lot of x86 machines. They were working on uh, mainframe batch processing, large transaction processing, mainly on basic Fortran, um, COBOL, and a lot of both our professors working on it. Um, um, end of high school, I remember I was part of a support team that, um, you know, kind of did support work for all for all the computers in in my school. There were no laptops back then, um, so we uh, you know we used to like um, do do any sort of uh, help in, as far as computers are concerned, like be disk or or drivers. I remember I 
um, got introduced to Linux as well. Now CentOS, Ubuntu, uh, this was all, I think, Solaris or maybe BSD, I think, FreeBSD, NetBSD, those, those days. And I remember we used to like help people load drivers for printers or, or the network interface cards. So that's, why I, that's how I got introduced to tech. Um, and after that, I, um, I got into my, uh, my computer science undergrad um, and then did my master's in computer science. Um, and, then, uh, and then pretty much that's it. I actually started a PhD in computer science and dropped out after seven months and uh, joined a startup um, because everybody in my, uh, in my research group did that. Uh, I also wasn't, uh, I think I wasn't focused to do like eight-year computer science PhD. And then, uh, yeah, I came to Cisco, um, saw the uh, open source world, started loving it, and uh, in open stack now. So, so what is it like growing up in in India? Because you know, I, I think there is like this this uh, perception that you know you you kind of have a, a destiny to either go into computer science or go into healthcare. Like, there's you know specific fields that if you're going to college, what what was your path like? Is that is that yeah. perception off? Uh, no, no, you're very right. Uh, my dad is, is, is an electrical engineer. All my uncles are, are engineers. Uh, um, many of my cousins are, are engineers and PhD. It's not, it's not like, I, I think it's uh, maybe a society thing or maybe when my parents grew up, the, uh, the jobs that kind of earned uh, good salaries were like, you know, engineering, doctor, and lawyer, right? Right. Um, and, and for some reason, uh, you know, uh, either it was the the political system or the, the bureaucratic system. Uh, lawyer uh, was uh, at least in my in my family. My dad was like, "Oh, lawyers are fraud. You know, they, they they take a lot of bribes and stuff like that." Um, but in my family, like you, you got to be like somebody uh, who, who 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 gets a degree that gets you a good salary end of the day, right? I mean, I mean, you can go into humanitarian arts and all of that, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't want you to be, um, you know, asking for my money or, or come, come, to come to a basement when you're 35, 40. So it's it, it kind of kind of like that attitude. And then, um, yeah, that's that's why most of the people are either, you know, engineering doctor or, or, or even lawyer, uh, mainly because everybody's doing it, right? And and they're seeing good results. They're they're doing great jobs. They're doing good salaries. Yeah. Like like I remember. People who uh, studied engineering and doctors, they had mortgage and, 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 and would buy a car in their late 20s. Um, when my dad's generation did a PhD in, in other branches and, 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 and they weren't so financially set, you know, settled like in, 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 in the society's eyes. So it's kind of like a go with the flow thing. But um, if you look at the big picture, it, it helped me because it, uh, it put me into tech. and. Um, I love tech, so uh, it's it's worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good for you. So let's Lyle, let's talk about the tech, man. What's exciting you these days in cloud and everything? Sure. So uh, let's see. I got involved in open. So actually, yeah, my involvement with open source is my first step into cloud. Uh, that was back in two thousand eleven. Uh, in my not, not my previous org, like two, two orgs before my current organization. Uh, uh, we were doing a lot of VMware projects. Like we had uh, VMware uh, uh, products to deploy virtual machines. And I remember back in 2011, we started using 
or moving from physical metal servers to virtual machines, right? And um, that was when I got involved with with open source because we we were using CentOS virtual machines a lot, mm-hmm. and CentOS um, used Libvirt, right? And and for for virtualization, uh, Libvirt is the API layer that talks down to the virtualization like KVM. KVM. Um, and Libvirt was broken um, in 2011, and uh, they asked me uh, to find a fix and. I started looking into the code. It was C code. Um, and then I told them, uh, I think I kind of found a fix which might work. And then they said, you don't have to uh, find a fix and, and implement it. And they said, when, when, I, when we mean find a fix, go to the open source community and ask them to fix. And that's when it kind of, I got flashbulb. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's how open source works. So somebody else does a lot so- of work. For us, that so you had actually gone into the code and you had figured out exactly. I had, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're I, like, I, I oh, built, I, I had built my own, um, you know, Libvirt version with with whatever fix that I was about to test, and then uh, one of my architects he said, uh, "It's an open source project. You don't have to like even worry about uh, fixing or finding the code. You can go to the community, talk to the developers, and that's when I sent uh, an email to the Libvirt developers, told them the problem. They sent me a patch immediately." And it worked beautifully. Um, and that's when I started liking open source, just the, the pure um, anonymity of, of, of open source, right? Like you don't know uh, who is working on it. You don't know, like, you don't know where they're from. You don't know their gender. They're, like in the IRC, for example, when you're chatting, uh, you won't know where they're from, what they're working on. All you know is they like what you like, and they're working on what, what, what I'm working on. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I got involved in in open source uh, back in 2011. Uh, my first movement to cloud was uh, in the Open Daylight project. Yeah, that was back in 2013, um, where Cisco built an SDN controller. Uh, it's called the POX controller, uh, where Cisco uh, had this idea uh, to implement an SDN um, uh, design, right, um, to, to kind of separate the data plane and the control plane, um, kind of opposite yeah. uh, the traditional Cisco model where you have a box that does data plane, control plane, routing, routing, um, everything. Mm, and then they thought once the data plane is all figured out and burnt into, into the hardware, the control plane uh, was pretty uh, uh, idle. It wasn't busy. It wasn't as busy as the data plane. And then, and then Cisco thought, why not uh, separate the two things and have a separate uh, box, the disk control plan, which is the network intelligence part, and then the data plan, which is, uh, as they say, the dumber part, like just uh, kind of like the uh, forwarding engine. And that's when yeah, I... So, yeah. so what, what's going on with the Open Daylight project right now? Oh, yeah, it's very active. Um, I was involved in the hydrogen, hydrogen release. That was the first release. Uh, Open Daylight follows the, um, the names uh, of the uh, elements in the periodic table. I think they are boron now. They started with hydrogen, I remember, in 2013. That's when Open Daylight was, was open source in the first place. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I think there was helium. Now it's boron. There was carbon. I think, yeah, I think carbon is the next. But I, I don't know. The is, it's not as alphabetical and easy as OpenStack, really. It, it's a H. Helibib Kanafni is the, uh, the, the first two rows of the periodic elements. I had to remember uh, see? that. Oh, yeah. So you know, right. So you know. What <laughs> oh, I, I didn't remember, remember <laughs> That's how I remember the first year. We had a teacher that made us remember those. Thank you, Mr. Holt. Appreciate it. 
<laughs> so are, cool. are people really using open daylight? Are, yeah. are people really using open daylight? They, I, they, I hear Cisco talk about it, but I don't know that I've heard. And it could be that I'm not looking in that space, but I'm just curious. Like, are you seeing it? Like, what's the and why do people yeah, want to use it? Yeah, uh, Open Daylight is actually pretty active, uh, especially the the latest uh, release, um, the, the the Boron release. So basically, it's kind of different than um, Open Stack, right? Open Stack is for cloud, right? It's it's a VM as a service. Uh, yeah. Uh, if 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 a customer wants to replace their metal servers with a bunch of virtual machines and network them, they go to Open Stack. Uh, but Open Daylight is is completely different. It's it's like uh, it's more for like. Uh, service chaining, for example, or or um, uh, an ideal use case would be like uh, um, NFV, where there are a bunch of there are still virtual machines in an open daylight uh, environment, but they're not as independent and standalone like an open stack environment. Um, so an open daylight would have a chain of machines one after the other, like like a like a virtual router or a virtual switch, like a virtual fire a fire. Uh, Firewall, uh, a virtual load balancer, a virtual proxy. Um, it kind of they call it the, the um, yeah the service chaining. Uh, yeah, the service chaining, or they call yeah. it the, uh, um, a channel um, sometimes. So um, they're all in chains in the open daylight wor world, and um, and when data comes into open daylight, it goes uh, in a service after service in, in the service chain. Uh, but are there are there like vendors around it? Are there yeah. Cisco, uh, when I was working Open Daylight, Cisco did the POX controller and Nesira Networks, I think, uh, did the Knox controller. Uh, they were the initial uh, SDN controllers for Open Daylight. But today, uh, Open Daylight talks uh, more than just OpenFlow. It talks um, like SNMP, talks REST API, talks RESTCon. Oh, okay. yeah. uh, it, it even talks. Uh, Open, uh, sorry, Neutron and integrates into OpenStack. That's actually one of my talks um, and workshops at Cisco Live uh, in Vegas last month. Uh, we showed how OpenStack, which is a cloud use case, can be integrated with Open Daylight, which is um, which is a NFE use case, and and both can be deployed. So a customer, an an NFE customer who wants a cloud. Um, can 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 use the integration and get OpenStack, or an enterprise customer who wants um, a service giant can can also do the same and get the other part of the integration. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty active. It's not as I mean the developer community is not as big as OpenStack. Um, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and, and the and the NFV use cases are not as much. Um, you know they're not as wide widely seen as as OpenStack. You know telecom uses it. Some finance uses it. I think. Yeah, but traditional data center, enterprise, retail—all they want is just open stack, like a bunch of virtual machines behind, behind a firewall, a private cloud, or maybe a public cloud. Yeah. Um, so, so Vikram, tell tell us what you're working on now. Like, what what's exciting that you're working on now, and and uh, what's uh, the future of it, and sure. why is it exciting to you? <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm currently uh, working on two projects. Uh, I'm in the Lunar team in MetaCloud. That's the uh, networking. Um, uh, project in, uh, in in OpenStack. Uh, we work on Neutron. Uh, we are right now upgrading Neutron to Okata. In, in wait, wait, hold on. What's Lunar? Is Lunar that just is just a, a team name. Team name. Okay, yeah, has yeah. nothing to do with yeah. any OpenStack projects. Okay. Uh, no, no. The the team <laughs> MetaCloud are, are like I think they're based on galaxies or stars, kind of related to cloud. So they're solar, they're lunar, they're the galaxy. Okay. So um, 
Uh, Lunar team does networking uh, uh, in MetaCloud, uh, works on uh, Neutron. Uh, I am also uh, working in the site reliability engineering team, uh, helping the ops team uh, uh, work on production issues. Um, and of course, working on a call on Kala and Civil Upstream. Uh, I'm a co-reviewer of the Kala project, so um, I uh, hang out in the IRC channel and, and, and work with the Kala developers. Because um, as, as tell us, tell us what Kala is. Sure. Uh, so Kala was actually started by Cisco, or maybe I want to say it was upstream by Cisco. Uh, so Kala is a project that uh, containerizes OpenStack. Uh, it was started, I think, September, October 2014. Uh, Wait, what does it mean to containerize OpenStack? So, so yeah, Kala, Kala means glue in Greek. Oh. Uh, it, uh, it It's kind of like different, very different than the traditional deployment model of a cloud. So Kala, what Kala does is it, it takes an OpenStack service, puts it in a Docker container, and then um, uses Ansible or even Kubernetes to, to deploy um, in, in, in the data center. So there are multiple advantages to this, right? So uh, uh, your question was well, a great question. So why do we want to containerize anything? Um, OpenStack is pretty complicated to deploy. There are a bunch of services, a lot of <laughs> big files. A lot of yeah. defaults, non-defaults, a lot of tuning, a lot of knobs. Um, and then it's, it's a fast-moving project, right? What works today may not work with, 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 with the newer version of, uh, of this same project tomorrow. So Kala or containerization makes it easier to get back to a golden state. So that's, that, that's very important in cloud deployment. Um, we clearly saw it when, when, I, when we were working on Kala. Uh, because if something works, um, it's not so easy to take a snapshot of the entire cloud um, and have a golden copy, right? Uh, but Kala makes it possible. So um, everything is baked inside something called as a container. Um, and in the shipping world, um, kind of an analogy is like the shipping world, where if we order something from Amazon.com, it comes in, the, in a container or in a box. Um, it comes on, on, on the ship from, from wherever, it's, wherever it's shipped from, right? So um, when we receive it, we will be sure that you know, everything in it works out of the box. Uh, if something doesn't work, it's my mistake as a user. So if, if, if a container works for me and if it doesn't work for somebody else, it's, it's mostly because it's user's mistake. And, and, and that's why container is famous, because it makes developers point fingers at others when something breaks. And no other technology made that possible. Uh, because all these days, if something works in my system, if it doesn't work in your system, I have to come to your system, look at, look at the dependencies, look at what, what software, hardware you're running, and things like that, and fix it. But uh, the container uh, completely eliminates that problem, right? Because a container has everything, including the piece of code and the dependencies and the packages and the config files needed for, 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 for a piece of software. So when it works for me, it has to work for you. If, if it doesn't work for you, either you know, your hardware is bad, doesn't do containers at all, or you're, doing, you're, you're supplying the software with some bad invalid configurations, which is, again, your mistake. 
Um, so, and so that, that, that's that's fast. So I I didn't actually quite realize that. So so Kala the Kala project isn't actually for users to run containers as part of their workflows, like something like Kubernetes provides. It's a way to stand up OpenStack and manage an OpenStack cluster. Like get that yeah. right. The OpenStack services, right? Yeah, so like exactly OpenStack right. services. Yeah, you're exactly which, right. which I heard that. Uh, and, and this might be a gross oversimplification, but the the sort of reason intent for containerizing OpenStack services for MetaCloud is that you have the ability to do in-place upgrades that are uh, yep. non-disruptive, which is huge. I mean, um, at that point, you've got all of your services, they're running a container, you can swap out a service uh, in real time and literally have you know less than a millisecond of of downtime where the data plane is unable to either provision or decommission cloud yeah. resources. Yeah, that's, that's totally possible. And and what, what Nikki brings up is a great point. That's all post day one or, or day two activities. And Kala is, or Kala containers is a great example to do uh, day two or post day, day one activities in a very easy, reliable way. Like for example, upgrades. Very easy containers. Uh, just just pull in the new container and start them. Reconfiguration, uh, very easy because the software itself doesn't change. Say we want to do some tuning, for example, we were talking you now how an enterprise cloud, for example, can be tuned to NFV, right? That's a reconfiguration use case. Like you know, do the tween, uh, tweakings or tunings of the configuration and yeah. then start the container. Uh, that's all again day two. Patching, for example, there's a bug. And uh, we need to patch our software. Uh, it's not the mistake of the user in this case. Uh, it's very easy, you know. Uh, fix the software, build a new container, and ask the user to pull a new container. Uh, yeah, everything is easy post day two because uh, we just give them containers. Uh, so uh, from an operations point of view, the unit of deployment that that that's passed around or what ops receive and what they need to deploy is now containers. They don't need to worry about what packets to install, what dependencies, what config files, you know, what networking, what tweaks, and all that. Everything is baked um, into the container we give them. And all they need to supply is the runtime things when they start the container, right? Which is called configuration. And OpenStack has like a million million configurations, right? When we combine yeah. you can mix and match and do a lot of self tunings. Uh, that's and that's one, of the, one of the drawbacks of uh, flexibility is the complexity can increase sometimes. So so what part of what part of this project are you working on? You mentioned that you're an upstream uh, yeah. maintainer. Of so right now uh, right now Kala is moving to something like a Kubernetes model. Uh, the main reason Kubernetes is very, very famous is because uh, it's also containers in the first place, but um, users don't uh, build anything. Um, if, 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 a, if a user wants Kubernetes, they go to the website, they pull the containers that are already built in the, in the Google, in the GCE, right? Google, Google Compute Engine Data um, Registry, Container Registry. They pull the containers and they start the containers and they, and they use Kubernetes. They're good to go. Uh, but with Kala, it's almost the same with an extra step before starting the containers, which is building the containers from scratch. And that's been a pain for ops because uh, building all the OpenStack services, uh, OpenStack has around close to 100 containers. Yeah. And building them takes a good couple of five to six to eight hours. And sometimes build may fail because if the register something's down. So Kala's moving to a model where uh, we give them built 
golden open stack containers that have that you know that have to work out the box. So they now can use Scala and hence OpenStack as Kubernetes, like go to a registry, which, which is Docker Hub in Kala's case, pull the OpenStack golden containers, supply the right config files, and start the containers, and boom, they get, they get a working cloud. Um, that's way, 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 way more easier than most of the, or, or, or I want to say all of the installers I work with. I work with Juju. I started with Cisco OpenStack installer. I've done Packstack. Um, I've done OSAT, um, OpenStack and SweetPong. Um, everything needs a lot of uh, pre-configuration uh, pre or, or day zero steps, I'd like to call. Yeah. Uh, is trying to eliminate all of that and just pull the containers and, and run it. It's like you know, downloading the software and running it, right? Like we want Chrome or we want, we want um, Slack, for example, in our laptop. We don't want to build Slack from source. We, we just download it and we start it and then we use it. And that's how, that's, that's how Kubernetes is, and that's why it's very famous. Just pull it and run it. Uh, nobody needs to build anything. It's for the developer or, or, or whoever uh, develops containers ten to 8 to 10 hours a day. It's, it's his or her job to do it. And as a user or ops, I don't, I don't even have to know what to containerize. Container so, wait, wait, so if I'm going to deploy OpenStack with Kala, then I would need to have just Docker installed, or I would need Kubernetes? Yeah. Um, yeah, you need you need some basic software install, of course. You need um, Docker installed. You need uh, um, Docker Pi, which is the Python client, uh, Ansible installed. Some basic networking needed for Kala. Uh, any networking needed for OpenStack is taken care of by Kala's installation. Um, and the good thing now is we are trying to automate that as well. So if you give a very minimum stock, a pristine. I want to say like CentOS operating system, for example, with nothing installed, uh, just some sort of IP to get into the box. Um, Carlos Bank automate the pre-install work as well, like deploy Docker, DockerPy, Ansible, set up the network, oh, okay. and then so pull the golden here. containers and start it. So as a user, you know you need to just provide a basic um, VM or, or bare metal server. So here's our operating system. Basically, yeah. something that used to take days and days and days and days and days, now you can do in like minutes. In minutes, right. And again, this is all in terms of um, for development environment. If you're looking for a production cloud, uh, the same containers can be used, but the networking part has to be set up because a production cloud has a lot of computes, controllers, storage nodes, and they have like an upstream devices, like a couple of proper switches and all, all sort of bonding going on. Uh, Caller doesn't do any of that. That's, in fact, outside of OpenStack. So in the production world, I'd say we still want to do a lot of day zero work. That, that, that's going to be the case in any automation, right, containers or not. Like we, you know, the truck pulls in, the box are, un, I mean, the, the routers are unboxed, they're racked and stacked, the cabling is done, uh, the, power, the power is turned on, the operating system is loaded. Um, that's what's done by the ops uh, on day zero. And then day one, is when Kala started, like, pull them run. Uh. So you've, you've spent some time um, working on private cloud products, both for, for service providers and then uh, also for enterprise-type uh, customers as well. Uh, what, are, what are some of the challenges or, or differences between what service providers want and what enterprises want when it comes to private cloud? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, my work in open daylight, which was mainly NFV and SP, 
was a good segue for for me to move into uh, SP and NFV use case for OpenStack. Like when I started um, working in OpenStack, um, it my my customers were were all media uh, media customers, uh, which is in a, um, in a service provider and a free use case. Um, and and the project I was working on was, was called Mercury, uh, which is today called Virtual Infrastructure Manager Wim. Uh, so basically, yes, there is a lot of difference for sure. Um, SP, NFE, telecom is uh, a lot, lot different uh, compared to like an enterprise data center or retail, something like that, right? Um, yeah, so as far as differences are concerned, it's just what the requirements, right, are needed by, by the customer. Um, I, I, I want to say... A, um, a cloud, like an enterprise data center use case, is much simpler in the sense all they want is a bunch of virtual machines networked together, uh, and that's it. They're good to go, and the cloud is, is ready for use. Uh, they run their applications in, in the virtual machines, and, and they're good to go. Uh, but the SP and the free use case I was working on was way, way more than creating a couple of virtual machines. Uh, like, they have this concept of service chaining, for example. They have this concept of channel. So uh, media media customers, um, where I, I was working on, uh, they wanted an entire channel in, in their data center. Um, the channel is, is a set of virtual services, uh, one after the other, um, kind of a service chain, service chain channel, um, you know, a couple of different uh, terms for, for the architecture. And when the packet comes in into their data center, they want each service to do something to the packet and then uh, pass the packet to the next service in the chain. Um, like, for example, virtual router, virtual switching, virtual firewall, uh, proxy, load balancer. Um, they can all be, you know, DMZ. They can all be connected as a chain, and, and, and we can uh, make, uh, we can visualize a chain as something coming in uh, into the chain, um, you know, going through the chain, um, getting getting changed in, in the chain or, or doing some sort of work in the chain and then coming out of the chain. That's very different compared to um, a, uh, a uh, data center uh, enterprise case where it's just a virtual machines and they, they, they don't have much of chaining. There's no dependency as to this has to run after that and that has to run before this. Uh, but in service chaining, like, it's a chain, so if like we have to run, you know, service one. If that passes, go to service two. If that fails, go to service seven. Uh, if service seven passes, go to service eight. If that fails, go and retry on service three. If service three passes, back it up on service eleven and then get out of the chain. So something like that. So is that because of the nature of what service providers are doing, like in terms of just processing huge yeah. amounts of data all yeah. the time? Yeah, um, yeah, they provide a service, right? So in, in the SP world, um, something is being streamed. That streaming is very important. Um, I, I forgot to mention that. In, in an SP cloud, we, we always see something being served to the client. Um, so for, for example, Netflix, or I have uh, IPTV in my house, uh, Sling, for example. Um, uh, so a sling data center is definitely different than an enterprise data center in the sense uh, when I turn on my TV, a bunch of services need to run 
in the data center of Sling or Netflix to provide my my streaming on my TV. And and as long as I watch my TV like five hours, ten hours, or or, or entire night, uh, those services better be working. Uh, it's not like uh, a bunch of VMs uh, running an application. Uh, when I change my channel. Um, I may um, use a different service or, or the same service with, with a different um, streaming service, I mean, streaming um, usage, right? Uh, that's why multicast was widely used in, in my work with the media companies, where uh, when, when we see a, a TV channel which is uh, broadcast, say, for example, California, uh, I am in Boston, um, and say um, everybody is on the East Coast is watching the same TV channel, uh, they don't have to replicate each packet all the way from California to all the East Coast. Ah. Right? Like, they don't have to replicate each packet, a California to Boston, California to New York City, California to RTP, California to Atlanta. It doesn't make sense. So what they do is they probably have, like, I don't know, like Chicago or somewhere in the mid you know, middle of, 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 of the country where uh, they send just one stream, and then their data center at the center of the country We'll have a multicast uh, service chain uh, that knows how many um, receivers or, or how many people are watching this channel, and that's going to like blast out multicast streams. And and you see, this is not possible in, in a traditional um, non-service chain cloud, is it? I mean, like like how can we uh, do any sort of um, providing a service uh, at real time uh, with just a bunch of rich machines? Uh, so that's yeah. It's not like a like a CDN where it's like permanent, like kind of cache there until the TTL expires, right? I mean, uh, yep, yep. I mean, you you could use CTN in, in SDN case. Like you can do content delivery um, uh, network uh, um, to delivery content, but something is being provided or or serviced all the time. If nobody watches Netflix, then uh, Netflix might as well be an enterprise use case, right? There's no service being provided. If nobody watches YouTube, then it won't. They won't need any service chaining. They'll just have a bunch of virtual machines and cloud it, cloud it enterprise or cloud, right? It's uh, crazy how much we take all this. How much we take all this for granted. Like you know, when I when I'm like you know browsing my phone, you know, late at night, going through things, switching from one thing to another to another to another, and I click a button and it's there and it's there and it's there. I don't realize. I guess I don't realize all of the hops or the complexity behind what it takes for that content to be previewed and then. Executed yep. and delivered to me right now. Yep. And on and all these days, imagine that this was all being done by individual metal physical servers. Um, so that's why SP, I mean NFE is taking off, right? Um, and the moment we can do all of these, uh, you know, streaming and replicating packets from California to other other part of the country with just virtual machines, uh, that's way 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 easier for service providers. Um, and that's why they 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 want to deploy um, all the services they've been providing all these days in 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 a virtual environment, and they call it a chain. Uh, it's like a, you know, it's a series um, of of activities. So, so I'm not a, a networking expert, but you know, um, when when someone sends content, let's say I'm in I'm in Austin, you know, you're in Boston, and I I don't know, you send me a. a we start this Google Hangout, right? And we start talking. Is there is there an option for is there an option for for you to make sure that your data is getting to me on the easiest, shortest, cleanest route? Well, SP, you're talking. 
you, you have to agree. That's what service providers do, right? Yeah, UDP, right? Like unreliable. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. You bring up there. Uh, yes, if somebody is going to be servicing a lot of data to how many of our customers, uh, there is an element of unreliability. Imagine doing all of these streaming in TCP uh, with a lot of uh, acknowledgement and sequence numbering. Uh, we would want to take up a lot of bandwidth, and then. Two, of course, we would be we would get a confirmation that the other end is receiving my stream, but that's a lot of work for the hops in between. So, um, the uh, the use case you're talking about, I almost did something like that in the media media space with media customer, but they didn't worry about confirmation, so they were blasting multicast UDP streams, and as a receiver of the data, for example, I'm. Uh, you know, blasting multicast UDP streams as a receiver, you are okay and kind of sign an SLA agreement that okay, I can tolerate maybe five percent drop or maybe like six percent drop. I know it's UDP, it's unrelated. Oh yeah, there's times uh, when my Google Hangout gets a little uh, pixelated and the sound drops for yeah. a second, but then it yeah, catches up and it's good. Yeah, it doesn't catch up. Yeah, it's not that once your network picks up, you're not going to rewind and, and, and you're not going to automatically see what the video you missed. That's not how UDP works, right? If you miss something, you get a jitter, you just you lose it forever unless you've recorded it. So that's kind of how TV works, right? With seeing a live, seeing a Super Bowl and something goes wrong, uh, you know, users don't worry. They agree that they know that you know, some sort of unreliability is, is, is okay. And that's why, that's a challenge in this fever. Like, how can you reduce this element of, of UDPness or unreliability uh, in your service provider. Like you can have fat links. You can have fast uh, um, uh, links all the way to user. Like I can get uh, like a one gig link to my router uh, if I pay more to, to, to Comcast. But, but not everybody does that. Everybody has you know, a regular house you know, household link coming off of, of some Comcast tower. And it's a challenge to SP that uh, with Without using a big, expensive, fat link, how can I reduce um, reduce the uh, the jitter that that somebody's streaming? And, and that's especially, how, yeah, especially when you don't know what your user's paying for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you don't know what your user paying for. You don't know what they're seeing. Uh, you don't know if it's live or not. Um, you know, if it's recorded as DVR, and also depends on the demand, right? Like something like you know the Olympics or, or Super Bowl. Needs a lot of uh, needs a very strong service chain. I want to say compared to like you know, a recorded movie on Netflix, right? So uh, customers, it, it depends on on the use case. Like if it's live stream, if it's like say, you, you, we want to see you know the, the president of the U.S. like Trump speaking, they they better increase their reliability because if some if if the president is for example giving a, a weekly speech or or, or a daily speech, uh, they won't treat it as as um, you know, they, they, they don't want to have uh, as much unreliability as they would see in like a record on Netflix. So this is where QoS comes in, quality of service. Uh, again, an element in the SP cloud that that not so common in the enterprise cloud or, or, or data center cloud. Which which increases the the complexity and I guess the uh, yeah. I guess this is why there's a there's a lot of uh, use cases that can't just take out of the box software from somebody. Like they're going no, to need. Something custom built that works with everything they've done in the past, that works with how they do things in the future. Like they're trying to take legacy things, then they can't uh, well, have an interruption, right? Yeah, that's a very good point. And that, that that's not something OpenStack can do out of the box. And that's why Open Daylight is taking out. Because Open Daylight 
provides out of the box working service chains like open Got it. Uh, is for an SDN and a free customer. Do you see a time when those are going to converge? I mean, you said you demoed it, but you think you're, we're going to see a lot more of that in the future? Uh, 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 yeah, I won't be surprised if, if a lot of customers want uh, integration with OpenStack and Open Daylight. Uh, it's just that where it's a matter of time, right? Like uh, an SP customer like AT&T or Netflix, um, they want a bunch of virtual machines in the cloud like OpenStack. Uh, today, what they're doing is they uh, deploy OpenStack, uh, and then they manually configure, like manually you know, tie, tie the two together. Uh, wow. but, but, what, but what we showed, uh, it's possible in an automated way. Uh, yeah, it's just certainly um, possible. Like, I, I, I won't be surprised if the customer wants uh, SP in, in a regular cloud and, and a regular cloud customer wanting the, uh, sorry, an SP customer wanting um, an enterprise, enterprise VM. Fascinating. I, I think just, uh, I, I've heard a lot of estimates on just the number of devices and sensors and things that are going to be online, something like, was it a million devices per hour? Yeah, the last time I read was like a couple millions. Yeah, I um, yeah, they were doing lots of sort of matting, and 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 I think not all of those devices use public IPs on the internet, but still, there's a lot of a lot of devices. It's a lot. It's a lot of data. A lot of data. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of, of data. data. Yeah, you, you, yeah. That's a great point. All these Lucho's smart, the smartphone, <laughs> Twitter generation is 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 fueling the SP world. <laughs> those dang millennials. Yeah. Cause, cause, they want everything right now. Yeah, because when we uh, when we open Twitter, for example, we see a bunch of handles on the left called trending. That's yeah. a key case because they have to be like serving, you know, receiving, doing analytics at a microsecond or or, or, or millisecond level uh, to figure out trends. Like yesterday, uh, what was it? Rock talking to uh, Alexa was it, or or, or some sort of um, home automation device. Um, rock the 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 uh, the wrestler, and that was that trended in like like two hours. And when when the lead singer of Linkin Park died, uh, that trended in like half an hour. And how can how can they figure out what's trending when somebody dies in some country, in, in some city, in some world, without some sort of chaining going on, right? Like they they, they constantly blast uh, or or analyze Twitter data, and they they descend this Twitter blast to uh, like an analyzing chain. And then they, they come up with this all sort of trends on, on the left vector. Fascinating. Internet magic and the things we take for granted, all of course <laughs> powered by the network. Woo! Yeah. Fascinating. Well, we are about out of time. Uh, before we go, is there anything else we should know about you? How do we find you? How do we get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, I am available uh, by email, of course. Uh, I work at Cisco, so you can contact me at Cisco email. I am available in IRC. I mostly hang out in the Kala, uh, OpenStack Kala, Docker, Kubernetes, and OpenStack Neutron channels. Uh, you can find my uh, my um, my IRC uh, handle, my 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 email ID, my Cisco user ID is my IRC handle, V-H-O-S-A-K-O-T. Uh, H-O-S-A-K-O-T. Hosakote. Yeah, Hosko. And the then, uh, Yeah, right. No, E. I think the uh, email ID is uh, some company. So oh, no. I made a mess that up. <laughs> I can send you my, tweet, uh, my uh, IRC. I'm so active on Twitter. I uh, My Twitter handle is slash boot because I had to mount or, 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 or 
Um, one of my very initial projects was to uh, repair a boot directory slash boot directory. And I kind of did that. And my Twitter handle is slash boot. Um, and slash then, boot. Yes. <laughs> I do. Uh, I'm not very active on Twitter. Uh, I, uh, I know because if once I become active, I, I want to spend more time on it. Uh, so, and I don't have time. So, well, uh, I hope that we can hear more from you because you have a way of uh, taking very complicated things and making them sound not so complicated. Yeah. And we certainly appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes when I give talks or something, I just tweet about my talk. But, but other than that, uh, just IRC and email, of course, cell phone. Yeah. And, and Slack if you're, if you're in Cisco. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've had a number of guests. I'm not even sure who's next. I'm sure uh, I should know this, but we've got guests lined up pretty much to the end of the year. So oh, wow. uh, okay. thank you to yeah. our listeners for joining us. Everybody no say goodbye. Thank, thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for our bye-bye. Have a nice day. Thanks, right. Vikram. Bye. See you, Nikki. Bye. Bye.